Welcome to My Waking Nightmare, the podcast where I ruin my life. I'm your host, Colton Jacobson, and I honestly regret everything about this podcast. last episode I said I would probably spend this episode going a little further into the plot of the movie, but I've changed my mind because I don't plan anything through and I've decided I'm going to do something else instead. So today I'm going to be talking about Farage and Daoud, the two best characters in the movie. Now for those of you who haven't seen the movie, honestly, I don't care. I'm not going to give you any special treatment, I'm not going to go over anything extra for you, I'm going to assume going forward that everyone has seen the movie. So, because of that, we all know who Farage and Daoud are. The movie starts off with Lawrence getting into a motorcycle crash, but we're going to skip forward, or I guess in the case of the motorcycle crash, go back in time to the point where he arrives at the Arab camp. When he first arrives at the Arab camp, they are being attacked by the Turks, and they have to flee to get out of range of the Turkish weapons. While they're on their little exodus to get away from the Turks is when we first get to see the brothers in action. They get the attention of Lawrence and ask if he has any cigarettes, which he politely says he doesn't. They then move forward to go ask Jenkins, who, in my opinion, shouldn't even be a named character because he has no further presence in the movie beyond this one scene. When they ask him for a cigarette, he says, and this is a direct quote, umph off, but instead of leaving, they decide to humbly ask him one more time, at which point he looks down at the cigarette carton in his hand and promptly gives it to them. They gladly accept it until they find out there is no more cigarettes in the pack, and as retaliation, they decide to stick something inside Jenkins' camel's butt, causing it to get angry and run off. Everyone gets a good chuckle out of it, and Jenkins falls off his camel, and luckily we never have to see him again. During that same scene, they then backpedal to Lawrence once again and ask him if he wants a servant. He quickly declines and says he doesn't have enough money. Once they have the temporary camp set up, Lawrence has his meeting with Prince Faisal, who explains to him that he needs a miracle, and Lawrence goes off to ponder what he can do to create a miracle. The next scene, in my mind, is one of the better ones with Daoud and Farage, and, with my interpretation, causes a direct impact for the rest of the story. Lawrence is trying to think of a plan, sitting at the bottom of a sand dune. Sitting at the top of the sand dune, we have Daoud and Farage watching him with interest. In his hand, Daoud holds a big chunk of rock, and he makes a gesture like he wants to throw it down the hill to get Lawrence's attention. Farage promptly stops him, but Daoud throws it anyway. The stone slowly rolls down the dune and lightly hits Lawrence in the back. He grabs it, and at least in my mind, that's where he gets the idea to attack from behind. Because if you remember from the plot, they want to attack Akaba, but the only way to attack Akaba is by sea. But because everyone thinks that the only way to attack Akaba is by sea, that's the only place that the Turks are protecting. So if you were to attack them from behind, they would never see it coming. 
Moving forward just a little in the scene where Lawrence is leaving for Akaba, he is stopped by Prince Faisal, and the brothers are quickly pushed away from the group, quite literally becoming background characters. Now I want to take a moment and appreciate what they actually do as background characters in this scene, because the entire time that Prince Faisal is talking to Lawrence about where he's going, they are very active in the back. As they are pushed away from the group, they keep their eyes on Lawrence just to watch what's going on, during which point they are silently told that they need to stay even if Lawrence leaves. We don't directly hear this, but they do mention it later in the movie. As soon as Lawrence starts to head off, the brothers start to sneak around trying to find a way to follow them. And then as one of my favorite things that happens in the background of this movie, as the camera starts to pan away, you can see Dawood trying to steal a camel. He doesn't get very far in stealing the camel because he's easily stopped, but I think it's funny that he at least tried. We then see Lawrence and his crew crossing the Nefu Desert, and something I didn't even notice the first time I watched it because, like I said, you don't find out until a little bit later that Dawood and Faraj aren't supposed to be following them, but you see the brothers tracking the Nefud crew from about half a mile back so they don't get noticed. When the Nefud crew stops at an oasis in the desert to try to rehydrate and rejuvenate, that's when we get another funny scene from Dawood and Faraj. Obviously, they've just been trekking through the desert, so they're very thirsty, and all they want to do is get to the water without anybody noticing. So they start to walk in step behind their camel in hopes that nobody will notice them. They do a pretty good job of making their legs match that of the camels, until they get behind a bush and let the camel keep going while they stay behind the bush. While they're doing this, Gassim is watching them, and he's a little confused by what he sees, so he looks behind the bush, and knowing that they've been caught, they quickly sprint to the water to get a drink before they're dragged away. When they are caught, they're dragged in front of Lawrence and Sharif, and Sharif says, You have been tracking us. To which the brothers essentially reply, We haven't been following you. Our camels strayed. We followed her. She led us here to be Lord Oren's servants. It is the will of Allah. They get whipped just a little by Sharif's camel whip, or whatever those are called, before Lawrence stops him. Gassim quickly then chimes in and says, These are not servants. These are outcasts. Parentless. And Sharif replies to him, these are not suitable. Lawrence then says, they sound very suitable. You can ride with the baggage. Daoud and Faraj quickly jump to Lawrence's feet and start kissing them, finally grateful that they have some purpose in life. Daoud then requests as their servants to be paid one shilling every week. Gassim says that's a fair wage. Daoud tries to push it and says he wants a shilling for each of them every week, and Gassim quickly shuts that down, saying that's too much. Now, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I did some converting, and apparently one shilling equals 0.92 cents in USD, which, due to inflation in 1916 when the movie takes place, would be about 24 cents. And I don't know how anyone else thinks of 24 cents, but my mind immediately goes to the fact that it is equivalent to 20 Lawrence of Arabia watches. That next night, Lawrence and Sharif are talking, and while they're talking, Lawrence is shaving his face. Sharif berates him a little bit, saying it's a waste of water that they desperately need while crossing the desert to shave his face. And while he does this, Daoud and Faraj look at him with the greatest curiosity, wondering what he's gonna do next. We then come to a long scene of them riding through the desert, and it's not very important, but the next night, and I don't know how to explain it, and I'm not sure why it's in the movie, but for some reason, Faraj falls off his camel, 
and then he runs and gets back on it, and that's the end of the scene. Once again, not sure why it's in the film. It's not, like, the funniest thing I've ever seen. It kind of distracts from the rest of the desert scene, so I'm a little confused about it, but it's in there, so I figured I should talk about it. As they are riding out of the sun's anvil, Daoud points out a camel that nobody's riding, and Sharif said, Oh, you know what that alarm means. It's time for me to interrupt what I'm saying and read a couple poems about the desert. This first one comes from PoetrySoup.com and is called One Disastrous Desert. One ice cream sundae, swirled with whipped cream and a cherry on the top, sitting temptingly in a tall glass. But you were out of reach. I could see you through the window of the restaurant, melting away in front of my eyes. Like your life was ebbing away from you, with creamy liquid tears running down the side of the glass. Over time, the cherry sank deeper into the velvety fluid, until it disappeared into the thick goo, its blushing red cheek barely visible at the bottom of the goblet, one fire alarm spoiling one perfect moment. This is a true story. It happened on 5th September. This next one comes from allpoetry.com and is called Trinity Cream, also known as Creme Brulee. Ramekins filled with creamy custard clouds tremble in the wake of silverware swooning. Rich decadence waters tantalizing taste buds beyond cracked crystal crevices of cane sugar. Adorned beautifully and sprinkled carefully, berries galore fused with the perfect pairing of vanilla bean. Bursts of flavor envelop lapping lips, exquisitely delicious. And our third and final poem, once again, comes from PoetrySoup.com, and it is titled, Just Deserts. Now for this one, we actually have a lovely audio recording of the author saying the poem, so I will play that now. Just Desserts. I was at my favorite restaurant and had a lovely meal. I finished all my food, then a pudding was the deal. I'd relished every morsel and was pleased as a Cheshire cat. The dessert menu was on its way. Oh, I couldn't wait for that. The waitress brought the menus and I rubbed my hands with glee. Oh, sticky toffee pudding. Now that's the one for me. She came to take the order. We had waited as you do. She finally turned to me and said, Oh, madam, what can I get you? Oh, stiffy cocky pudding, please, was my swift reply. I didn't realise what I'd said till I saw tears form in her eye. I went as red as a beetroot and the others began to laugh at my spoonerism, which turned into a complete gaff. The pudding, it came quickly, but I couldn't wait to leave. I choked on every mouthful and my stomach, it did heave. So please take notice of my error on this horrendous day. If you order sticky toffee pudding, be careful what you say. Wonderful. And this has been the segment where I interrupt myself from what I'm saying to read poems about what I'm now realizing is desserts and not deserts. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome. 
welcome to the second half of the podcast where I'm not going to continue talking about Dawood and Farage. I figured, you know what, I've got a couple more episodes of this podcast before I finish watching the movie, so why not save it until later? But before I complete the episode, I do have a couple of goals that I have written down that I would like to go through. These are just things that I'm hoping for going forward. The first one is that I really just kind of want to watch the movie on VHS. The movie looks great when I watch it on YouTube, but I fully understand that's the high-definition, digitally remastered version of the movie. I kind of want to watch the movie in its original glory. Or as close to its original glory as I can. I will never be able to watch it in the theaters how it was originally shown. And unfortunately, I probably will never be able to watch it on Betamax. I scoured the internet to try to find a Betamax version of the movie, and I could only find one copy that has been completely unopened. And I don't think I could in good conscience, even if I owned it, open it from its original packaging. So I'm going to have to stick with the VHS copy. These first couple times that I've seen the movie, honestly I'm still in the boat that it's a great movie, but I really have had trouble finding time to watch the movie because it's so long. And because of the length of the film, contrary to this audio clip from the first episode, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to watch it again. I'm hoping I have this feeling going forward for a long time before I get sick of the movie. I'm already sick of the movie, so I really need to come up with some sort of schedule that I can stick to and follow for the next 10 years. I think that's going to be crucial to completing my task. At some point in the near future here, I would also like to read The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, which is the book that the movie is based off of. The movie is not a word-for-word copy of the book, so the book's a little different, and I'm looking forward to those differences that I can compare to each other. I would also like to find someone to talk about the movie to. And don't get me wrong, I have forced people to listen to me talking about the movie. But it would be nice if somebody knew what I was talking about. Somebody who's seen the film. Even if they don't want to talk about it, it'd be nice to know they exist in my life, just in case. Another point that I have written down is that I sincerely hope going forward that I continue to hate Jenkins as much as I do in this movie. He is easily the worst character, and I don't think any amount of times I see this movie will change that fact. But other than that, the last goal that I have written down, and this one's more wishful thinking than anything, but I would really like it if I never had to watch the movie ever again. So, yeah, we're already at that point. And like I said, it's a great movie, I love the movie, but I cannot with the length of the movie. So the final thing I'm going to ask before I end this episode is, were these last two watches worth two and two-fifth cents? Yeah, I really think it was. I noticed a lot of things in the second and third watches that I didn't notice the first time through. The first time I was watching the movie, I was trying to pay attention to what the plot was, but the second and third time, I had a little more freedom to look at the background and see what all the characters individually were doing. So I would honestly say the second and third watches were probably better than the first watch. I know that sort of contradicts what I was saying about never wanting to watch the movie again, but once again, that's just because I can't find time to watch the movie, not because I don't want to see it. And also, this movie has extremely confused me more than any other thing in my entire life. 
I both love the movie and hate the movie at the same time, and I don't know what to think anymore. I'm only three watches in, and I honestly have no idea what I think about this movie. I'll see you in the next episode when I say I'm going to continue talking about Daoud and Farage, but I'll probably end up talking about something like the Gassam Sandwich. My name is Colton Jacobson, and I've seen Lawrence of Arabia three times, giving me 4,010 days to watch it 998 more times. <laughs>